As you can see, this video highlights Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, a civil rights activist. She gives her testimony of an event that happened in 1963. Fannie Lou Hamer, a poor sharecropper from Mississippi, endured a vicious beating orchestrated by white police officers. Hamer and several of her fellow civil rights workers were returning from South Carolina, where they had spent a week training in, in, in an SCLC citizenship school under legendary organizer Clark. On the way back to Mississippi, they made a restroom stop. And at the restroom stop, they were met by three white police officers. The group was taken to the Montgomery Court Jail. And on the way to the cell where they planned to beat her, one of the officers said, you blank, you're gone to make you wish you were dead. Five men were in the death cell, as she called it. Three were white and two were black. This may have been the cruelest part of the unsavory un affair. They forced the two male black prisoners to beat her with a leather-bound heavy tool called a blackjack. The description of the beating is best told by Hamer herself. In a statement given before the select panel on Mississippi and civil rights in 1964, she testified. I was carried out of the cell into another cell where there were two Negro prisoners. The state highway patrolman gave the first Negro a long blackjack that was heavy. It was loaded with something. And they had me lay down on the bunk face down. And I was beat. I was beat by the first Negro until he was exhausted. After I was beat by the first Negro, the state highway patrolman ordered the other Negro to take the blackjack. And the second Negro, he began to beat. The state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro that had beat me to sit on my feet. And one of the white men that was in the room, my dress would work up because it had a large skirt. But I was trying to keep it down and trying to shield the licks from the left side because I had polio when I was a child. And during the time I was crying to work my dress down and keep the licks off my left side, one of the white men walked over and pulled my dress up. And at this time, I had to hug around the mattress to keep the sound from coming out. Fannie Lou Hamer beating left her with one kidney permanently damaged and a blood clot in her eye that almost nearly took her sight. She was abused, it seems, for being, for being a black woman with a voice, wrote Charles Marsh. Hamer spent the night in silence, but a day later, while still in jail, she started to sing. Known for her resident and inspiring voice, the same mouth that had been screaming in pain just the night before began sounding the strains of freedom. Paul and Silas, bound in jail, let my people go. Had no money for the bail, let my people go. Paul and Silas began to shout, let my people go. Jail doors opened and they walked out, let my people go. When Hamer hit bottom in her pursuit of justice, the sweet water of faith welled up in her soul, says Jamar Tisby. Belief in the Christian God of liberty and justice fueled her efforts in that of many civil rights activists. Church, what amazes me about this woman 
of faith is her faith in God in the midst of unspeakable pain, racism, human belittling, and shaming. And it's ironic how you usually find faith dwelling in the most unlikely places. In this case, dwelling in the heart of a black, oppressed, marginalized woman in the harshest climates of Jim Crow days. Faith is usually found, church, in the most unlikely places. Moses wrote the Pentateuch in the desert. Isaiah and Jeremiah would minister and cling to God in much distress. Peter wrote his letter shortly before he would become a martyr. And Paul spoke to the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 14. He said, Strengthen the soul. He, as they were strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed themselves to the Lord in whom they believed. Church faith can be found in the most unlikely places. Deep wells of faith in the hearts of suffering saints, wells that are deep and do not run dry. But if you're like me, as I gaze at the life of Ms. Hamer, I can only ask the question, I can only beckon to heaven, where do you get that faith from? That faith that does not give up, that faith that does not quit, where do you get that faith? Where do you cultivate that? What do you engineer that? Where do you build that kind of faith from, Fanny? Where did you get that from? Well, church this morning, I believe Jesus releases the secret to that question in a private Q&A meeting with his disciples. It was in a house in Caesarea of Philippi where we would find out where people like Fannie Lou Hamer would get such faith from. Jesus is teaching and helping his disciples to not only understand faith, but get them to the place where they can live by faith. Friends, we find this story nestled and cradled in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, Feel free to go there. It will also be on the screen. But before we can join Jesus in that house where he's having a Q&A with his disciples, we must first join them at the scene before it all started. In Mark chapter 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 14 through 29, and it reads, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed in the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, 
have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was the crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he had entered the house, his disciple asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Church, if you would indulge me for a minute as I set up the context of this powerful story. Jesus has, just a little while ago, taken three of his 12 disciples up to a high mountain, Peter, James, and John. This moment is known as the mountain of transfiguration. Uh, this word transfigure in the Greek is metamotha, which we get the English word metamorphosis, which means to change in constitution or physical form like a caterpillar into a butterfly. But what changes about Jesus in this scene is his face. His face begins to light up. Jesus showed Peter, James, and John that he is more than just a teacher, that he is more than just a healer, that he is more than what they ever imagined that he was. Now, Jesus and his disciples were had a moment, and Peter says something goofy like, can I build you a crib? Like, who says that? Like, Jesus is shining in all of his glory and all of his radiance, and, and Peter says, can I build you a house? But in this moment, what we see is the words of John being pictured here when John said the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And what Peter, James, and John seen, that he was preeminent, that he was sovereign, that he was the creator of the universe. Yes, I am a man, but I'm more than a man. I am the creator of the universe. And so Jesus... And his disciples came back down to the valley, back down to reality, out of the glory, back down to the struggling world. Like when Moses came down from the mountain, from the presence of God to a faithless people waiting for him at the bottom of the mountain, Jesus comes down from being in, in, in the glorious presence of his father to a faithless people waiting at him down below, down in the valley as they wait on him to come. And verse 14 says, then they came to the disciples. They saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. All right, so let's make sure that we get the picture here. Jesus takes three of his disciples. They're up in the mountain. He reveals his glory to them. But there's a situation happening down below. There's a situation happening down in the valley. Down in the valley are the other nine of apostles. If you can do math, 12 minus 3 equals Nine And so nine of his disciples are down at the bottom of the valley, and some things are happening down there. And so, and so what we see is that Jesus, when he comes down from the mountain, there's this huge crowd. 
a multitude. The Bible says that there's a great crowd of people down at the bottom of the mountain. What are they doing there? Why have they come? Why have all these people come to see Jesus? Now, the crazy part is, is that this crowd had gathered to come see Jesus. But when they get there, he's not there. And so the father is bringing his son so that Jesus can heal him, but Jesus is not there. It's like when you go to a place and you want to speak to the manager. You want to speak to the head honcho. I don't want to speak to the supervisor. I don't want to speak to the hired hand. I got a situation in a circumstance that only the one in charge can handle. You ever been in that situation? But sometimes you have to settle for whoever they have at the moment. The manager's not here. The owner's not here. Okay, I'll settle for you. Here's my situation. Here's my problem. Let me see if you can help me. And I want you to note that Jesus is gone. Why this is happening. Don't let that slip your mind. The nine disciples are left alone for the first time with a Satan-sized problem. What will they do? How will they respond? With no physical Jesus present at this time with them, what would they do? The power was always in their midst because Jesus was always there. And now they're in a situation where Jesus is not there. Because there was never a time where Jesus was not with his disciples up to this point. The question is, how do you access a Jesus you can't see, church? How do you access a Jesus that is away from you? You got to access him by faith. You must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. However, the disciples are getting ready to fail major. They are getting ready to fail miserably. If I said that right. <laughs> See, y'all, I'm starting to catch my words because people be helping me out. Church, not only is there a large crowd, not only do we have a large crowd, get the picture here, we have a demon-possessed boy. So we've got a large crowd, and we got a demon-possessed boy on our hands. But who else shows up? The scribes. Where did they come from? Right? Jesus haters. You know, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day. Everywhere Jesus was, so were they. you got to remember that wherever ministry is, Satan always got his groupies there too. There's always those who are there to cheer on Satan. So, Church, the, apostle, the apostles not only get into a situation they can't handle, but Jesus' enemy shows up, the teasers, the aggravators. And so as the apostles are unable to do anything, they got these scribes irritating them, talking down on them. Now, these scribes would be located in that city. They would be located in the surrounding towns of Caesarea Philippi. They knew about Jesus' ministry. 
They were the type that did not miss a church service. They were there every week, every Sunday. I hope you're listening. The scribes were there every church service. They showed up Sunday morning. They got their coffee. They sat down, and they enjoyed the sermon. Well, they didn't enjoy it, but they were there to kind of sift out what Jesus was saying. We're trying to get some ammo. We're trying to catch, as I said before, they're trying to catch Jesus slipping and tripping. And so they're trying to find something that they can accuse him with. They're not there to praise the Lord. They're not there to lift up their hands. They're not there to worship God. I came to tell you this morning, church, one of the ways that you know the people of God from those who walk with Satan is that they're always cheering Satan on. They're always bickering about something. They're always grumbling about something. And what you see here is that there's a demon-possessed boy, and instead of helping the disciples, they start talking about the disciples. Instead of joining their team, they start cheering the demon on. They're glad that they're failing. They're clapping at them. They're celebrating that Jesus is not around. They say, this is our moment to discredit the ministry of Jesus. So we have a demon-possessed boy. We got nine apostles, not two. It's nine of these jokers. Nine of them. So don't feel sorry for them. All right? It's like the Power Rangers, right? When one get beat up, you got like five others that's coming, and they do this thing called morphing time. And they morph. They could at least try to morph, come together, but they couldn't do jack. All right? Nine apostles, demon-possessed boy. You got scribes on the other side talking crazy in your ear. You looking stupid because you, you supposed to be able to cast this demon out. Can you Back up. Can you imagine being in that situation? In the name of Jesus, I say go. How, how many? Yeah. And them dudes like, see, look at them. I told you they was fake. And then they get into an argument like at the barbershop, right? You going in. Uh-huh, yeah, Jesus is alive. No, he ain't. Uh, Christianity is to keep black people decipher, uh, docile when, when, whenever you're talking to the five percenters and the Hebrew Israelites and all of that. And you going at it. And sometimes them dudes will feed you your lunch if you don't know your body. You ever been frustrated in ministry where you should be succeeding, but you're not succeeding. And the enemies of God are making fun of you. They're pointing at you. They're calling you names. So don't just look at this and feel like, 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 like this story does not relate to us, right? They're frustrated, right? Jesus is gone. This is our time to shine. Whoo, he, okay, he's gone. It's time to show up and show out, all right? And so Jesus enters into the situation. In verse 15, it says, when Jesus finally gets down off the mountain, if I was the disciples, I'm like, ooh, I'm so glad you showed up because... <laughs> Because this ain't going good right now. No, it ain't going good. Now, watch what it says, though. It says that they were amazed to see him. Now, this word amazed here is only used twice in the Bible. Both times it is used in Mark. When Mark says amazed, he uses it in its strongest sense. In other words, when the people saw Jesus, the situation was so out of hand, they ran up to Jesus like when people used to run up to Michael Jackson when they seen him. All right? So, so you get the picture. When they run up to him, they're like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, he here. Thank goodness, because things are getting crazy. So they like, they like stoic. I mean, they hype. They two shots of espresso, excited, Red Bull, excited to see Jesus. And so they run up to him, and they are going crazy because the real deal has showed up. In their minds, he'll be able to make sense out of this foolishness. 
He'll be able to straighten this thing out, make some sense out of it. So they run up to Jesus because the apostles had disappointed them. We see this in verse 16. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with him? And some of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever he seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Jesus inquires about what's going on. Now notice what the apostles do. They don't say nothing. Right? Jesus says, what y'all arguing about? Hmm? You, you, you know when you say, hmm? You heard what I said. You just don't want to answer the question, right? What happened? Hmm? So, but the disciples got humbled and embarrassed. They feel like they should have been able to handle this. Only to disappoint not only the crowd, but to disappoint Jesus. Church, there's going to be times where you fail in ministry. There's going to be times when you fail in trusting God. If the apostles have failed and they walked with him, don't be so hard on yourself when you fall. It's going to be times when you're not successful in what God has called you to do. So finally, the father of the demon-possessed boy speaks up. That's my baby. I'm going to say something. The apostles don't say the name. They help me nowhere. Get all nine of them out of my way. So the father speaks up. And by the way, Matthew has this account in chapter 17 and Luke in chapter 9. Matthew adds that the man was falling on his knees, falling on his knees. And Matthew says he called to him Lord. So this means that this man knew about Jesus. He had some kind of faith in Jesus. This is not his first time hearing about Jesus. So the man knew Jesus. And, 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 and Luke said that, that he yelled, my son. Sometimes you got to shout the name of Jesus. And so, and so he yells over the crowd. And Jesus hears him. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of commotion. The scribes are there. The boy is acting crazy. And the father just came to get some help for his son. Now, what kind of demon are we dealing with? Couldn't they cast it out? Demons are fallen angels that sometimes takes residence in people. And the demon had caused this boy at the end of verse 17 to be mute. Not only mute, we find out later in the story that he was also deaf. The boy could not hear. The boy could not speak. It had to do with demonic control. None of this is a result of physical issues but a demonic issue. In today's world, they would have given him a prescription, maybe some ibuprofen, come on, some Vicodin, sent them home, wrote them off as a lunatic. Now, I'm not against getting counseling and getting some help from the doctor. Sometimes situations require those things. But in this situation, this ain't no physical issue. You got to take him to the soul physician. All right. And so understand, church, some issues in our life we got to take to God. There's addictions in our lives and sometimes we are treating symptoms and we are not treating the root of the issue. And so as long as you keep treating symptoms, the disease is going to keep coming back up in your life. Until you deal with the spiritual problem, you cannot resolve the problem. And some things only God can resolve. Man can do what man can do, and God can do what only God can do. Now, the man says the demon periodically produces this power over the boy. 
It makes him scream. Then it slams him to the ground. Now, I want to slow down because I want you to see this. This is a strong verb that he uses. He slams the boy so hard to the ground, he's having concussion after concussion after concussion after concussion. This is a serious issue. Now, understand, church, that demons are real. They are powerful. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 that Satan was given the power of death. And, 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 so, and, and, so, and, and so we can't take for granted the demonic forces around us. Paul says in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against his principalities and high places, spiritual wickedness and darkness, right? Now, I'm not the kind of person that think that the devil is to be blamed for everything. There's some folks that like to blame the devil for everything. That overdraft fee ain't got nothing to do with the devil. That got to do with you not balancing your checkbook. You can rebuke them all you want until you pick up a pen and write it down. You, 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 you fighting the wrong thing. But at the same time, we don't want to go to the other extreme where we say that he's not real and that he does not exist because Jesus says that he exists. The father knows all too well this demon. He's been living with this demon since this boy was little. He's been dealing with this issue all his life. Jesus said that he would have to save them from fires in, in, and out of the water. See, in Jerusalem, there was a lot of fires to keep people warm and a lot of places where there were water and wells and things like that. And so the demon would toss the boy into that. Can you imagine for a moment if that was your child? You out at the grocery store and he goes slamming himself to the ground and running into the canned goods and running into the bakery. The father is hurting. The father is tired. This is his boy. He's been trying to keep this boy alive, and this demon has been trying to ruin his life. But I love that this one simple fact that can't nobody kill you unless God says that it's okay. Do what you want to do, but you better not touch his life. And so many of us have been struggling and going through things, but I came to tell you some of the situations situations and circumstances that you're facing in your life, God has allowed you to go through it so that he can get some glory at the end of it. And the good thing about God is God knows when to put you in something and he knows when to take you out of something. And so you got to learn to trust him. All right. Now watch how Jesus responds. And it says, and he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, Jesus is not happy here. This is not a compliment, all right? He says, oh, unbelieving generation. Luke adds, perverted. I know y'all used to the cute Jesus. Jesus says, perverted generation. How did you get twisted so fast? Now, you got to understand that the people of that day would have understood exactly what he was talking about. The verse that would have came to their mind is Deuteronomy 32. It is an indictment on the nation of Israel, Deuteronomy 32, just a couple verses. Verse 5, you are a perverse and crooked generation. Verse 20, 
They are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness, no trust. Nothing upsets God like faithless people. The Bible says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Nothing moves him. Nothing angers him. When you don't trust him, you can't give him nothing. You can't buy him nothing. But if you believe on him, oh, he loves that. That moves him. That gets him going. I like the way that one preacher say the way that faith moves God is just the same way when you go in the bathroom, they got those things you call motion sensors, right? And when you put your hand up under that motion sensor, it causes something to happen. When God sends faith in his people, it causes him to move on our behalf. And so God says that I want a people that will believe me. And so Jesus is mad. He's angry. I think I would have been too. Just came down off the mountain, good time, like coming off vacation to a whole bunch of mess and craziness. Bunch of crazy folk down at the bottom of the mountain. I was just chilling, having a good time. Came down here, and they acting crazy. And then they don't even believe I can do what I can do. And we keep doubting God. Listen, church. When our faith is waning, when we fail to trust God, God has to keep teaching us things over and over and over and over and over again. Got to go through this same relationship issue again. Got to go through this same work problem again. Got to go through it over and over because we keep trusting in ourselves, looking to ourselves, doing what we want to do, trusting in Dexter Harris. And every time I do that, I don't know if I'm the only one in the room. Every time I trust in myself, I make a mess out of my life. And, And sometimes I got to learn to lean on God. It's because they were not trusting Jesus. Why, they couldn't cast, why couldn't they cast this demon out? Is it because they needed more demon training classes? Is it because they wasn't holding their hand the right way? Did Jesus come down there and say, I told you to hold it straight. Spread the fingers, 90 degree angle, and land it on the forehead. What you did wrong is you came here with it. And you came here. Don't do that. I come here, then here, then here. You see? And then say, be gone. That's what you see, right? A lot of times, right? It's all this demonstrative stuff. But Jesus doesn't talk about no technique. He's going to talk about prayer in a minute. It ain't about how loud you are or how quiet you are. It's about how loud your faith is. All right, church. So, We actually got two problems on our hands, right? Let's think about it for a minute. Large crowd, demon-possessed boy, problem number one. Problem number two is a lack of faith. So we got two issues on the scene, really. A lack of faith and a demon-possessed boy. Now, I want you to notice something. When there's no faith, Satan acts a fool. When there's no faith, Satan runs amok. When there's no faith... Satan runs them. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we preach his word. That's why we preach the truth because we want faith to rise up in this place because when we believe him, we say if God is for us, then who can be against us? How many people know what it is to have a God that goes before you? Let me talk to you for a minute. Hold on, hold on. I know you're getting ready to shout. Hold on. Let me talk to you for a minute because in Jude it says, 
It says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Now, hold on. I did my homework. All right? When he says keep you, that means that I keep you by going before you. I keep you by walking on side of you. And I keep you by walking behind you. Surely goodness and faith shall follow me all the days of my life. Y'all ain't hearing me this morning. When God is on your side, it doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter who's talking. It doesn't matter what they got to say. When God is on your side, church. Now watch this. Now watch this. Now watch verse 22 and 23. The father says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Let me drink some water here. Okay. Now I want you to see this, right? Jesus, if there's anything you can do, pretty please do it. Now I love Jesus. Respond. Now watch in verse 23. He says, if you can. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, because this gets really good, all right? Jesus says, if you can. That's not a question. That's a statement. Are you kidding me? Are you, do you know who I am? Have you not heard about me? Have, have you not heard about me as you read the Pentateuch? Have you not heard about what I've been doing, how I've been healing people, how I've been walking on water, how I've been feeding the 5,000? Have you not heard? What you mean if I can't? Nothing's impossible for God. But hold on. Here's the problem. The problem is not what I can do. The issue is, do you believe that I can do all things. That's the issue. Church, I came to tell you that the issue is not can God do. The question is, do you believe? And so don't look to God. You need to look to your own issues. And Jesus says in verse 23, if you can, do you not know who I am? Now in verse 23, he says, all things are possible for the ones who believe. We should approach everything with anything is, impossible, anything is possible for God. Now watch this. Tony Evans says this. He says, little faith is when you believe the lies of Satan more than God. Great faith sets no limit on what God can do. He goes on. He says, little faith sets things in place just in case God doesn't show up. All right? Okay. I'm going to put the just in case. I'm going to have a plan B. Now, tell me when ha whenever has God needed a plan B. God doesn't need a plan B. God, God is faithful. Now, here's the other thing, because I don't want anybody walking out thinking that I could believe anything and I control God with my faith. I don't want you to think that, because faith is also believing God when he doesn't give you what you wanted. Faith is also believing God if he chooses to send you through the trial. Hold on. I want to be biblical here because some people may object to this. I want you to go home. I want you to read Hebrews 11 and how it says, by faith they conquered. By faith they, they, they conquered kingdoms. And then when you get to the bottom, it said, by faith they were sawed in half. By faith they were in the desert. By faith they were destitute. By faith they went through trials and tribulations. So faith doesn't always guarantee a, a comfortable life. But faith does guarantee that God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. I kept y'all too long. I got to get going here. Here. Let's keep moving because I'm already out of time. Second, faith is a gift from God. Yeah. Now watch this. The father is lacking faith, right? He's in trouble. He has a need. Oh, I love Hebrews, right? Because that's what's coming to my mind, right? Boldly approach the throne of grace 
and times of need. So the father said, it says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Understand, church, that when you're lacking in believing God, you don't try to muster it up. You don't try to run around the house seven times. You fall on your face and you say, God, give me the faith that I need to believe. And if you ask him, the Bible says that he'll provide it if you do it without doubting. So the father realizes who's the faith giver and so he looks to Jesus and say, I'm lacking. I don't have everything that you're requiring of me. I love what the theologian Augustine said. He says, God, command what you will and will what you command. You command us to do something, but you also give us the power to do something. Let me open up a parenthesis. I'm not coming through clear. Understand this, that in salvation, as we are saved, God commands us to live a godly life. Here's the beautiful part. The law tells you what to do, but it doesn't give you the power to do it. But with Jesus, he tells you what to do, and then he gives you the power to do it. That's what I love about Jesus is because Jesus is a life changer. He's a heart changer. He says, I take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh and cause you to do what? To walk in my ways. So what do you do when you're lacking faith? Do you need to muster it up? You need to look in yourself? You look to Christ. Verse 25. Let's keep going. Verse 25. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked. The unclean spirit saying to it, you mute deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Help me, Holy Ghost. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came, the, the, the spirit seen Jesus and started acting a fool. Did you catch that? He seen him and he's like, I seen what they seen up on the mountain. I seen the glory that they seen up on the mountain. I seen what they seen, the three apostles, before we ever got down here. The demon knows who he is. He knows who he is He because he created him. He created him. All right, let's keep going. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said, he is dead. That's not a problem for me, though, Jesus, right? Jesus said, that's not a problem. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus quickly acts when the, when the man asks us for help. Jesus, he rushes in, and he helps the boy. Church, if you would open up your mouth and ask him for help, he'll come to your aid in a heartbeat. He'll come to your aid the moment you cry out in faith to him, saying to it, you deaf, dumb, Jesus is a G right here. I'm sorry. That's just the way that I see it. He, I mean, I mean, my, this is my boy, right? My boy, he, he, he looks at that demon like, yo, you deaf, dumb spirit. Come on up out of him. I wish you would say something. I, boy, I wish you would. I wish you would. I don't know whose side you want to be on, but I want to be on Jesus' side. All right, so verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he got up, or better, he stood up. He stood up. Such a beautiful picture here, right? I want to slow down for a minute because it's good to see Jesus and all of his brilliance and all of his might. But Jesus takes the boy by the hand because he's saying, you ain't just come to power. You came to a person that loves and a person that's meek. Jesus is more than just a healer. Jesus is a lover. He walks with people. He talks to people. He has sympathy on people. He has compassion on people. You're not just coming to a power source where you just plug in the plug and your TV come on and your light come on, but you're coming to someone that you can talk to and relate to and cry to. And so understand that the father comes to a lover. He came. So, so after that, after Jesus heals the boy, 
Now, I want to remind you real fast. I'm getting ready to close. Jesus heals the boy. The crowd sees the miracle. Everything's good. Now, remember, our nine homeboys early on, right? The apostles. <laughs> what about them, right? They, they are completely embarrassed, right? Because they got showed up. And so now they, get, they wait till they get to the house. Wait till they get in the inside. And what do they say? Uh, uh, Jesus, can we talk to you for a minute? What happens out there? Because we look like some fools out there. And, and you talking about dying and going and, and what we going to do when you leave, Jesus? How we going to deal with these issues, Jesus? Right? Right? Because that's how I read scripture. You may read it different. You may be a little bit more serious and sanctified than I am. But when I see it, I just see them like going into the crib. They don't want nobody to know. You know what I'm saying? So they go behind closed doors and say, hey, Jesus, like, like we, we did the karate kick like you told us. We, we stretched the arm. We spread the fingers. We came, and nothing came out. What's, what's God? Help us out here. You hear me out? Right? So, so the Bible says that they came into the house. And it's teaching time. Jesus knows he will not be with them much longer. And he has got to get these disciples to understand the importance of faith and to understand how to walk by faith and not by sight. All right? Now, Jesus says in verse 20, because of the littleness of your faith, he answers their question. Why couldn't we do it? Because of the littleness of your faith. Here we go again. The problem with these men is that their faith is too small. Oh, Jesus talks about this over and over again. He said something like this in Matthew 6.30, something like this in Matthew 8.26, and Matthew 14.31, and Matthew 16.8, and Luke 12.28. Oh, you of little faith. So his disciples began to question him privately. This is the greatest way to teach, a little Q&A time. Let's talk. Let's relate. So, so in other words, what they're confused about is in Mark chapter 6, they were casting out demons. But now we get to Mark 17, and they can't do it. What, what's the problem? Well, back in Mark, Jesus was with them. Now, Jesus, it's not with them. And what I need you to understand is how to have a relationship with me and access power from me through faith. <clears throat> so why couldn't they do it? They were yelling. They were kicking. They were binding in his name. But nothing happened. And he said to them, here's the secret, church. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Let me talk to you. That went over your head. This kind. Genos, this species, this kind of spirit, this kind of unclean spirit. In other words, the power you're looking for is only found in prayer. Now, when he says prayer, that means you need to go spend time with, you need to go spend time with God. You're trying to do something that you can't do without me. You need to spend more time looking at the Father. You need to spend more time realizing who your Father is because it's not about accessing power. It's about having a re relationship. And if you got a relationship, you can have whatever you will. If you delight in me, you can have whatever you will. Okay, so prayer 
is talking to God. Prayer is spending time with God. Prayer is submitting to God. Jesus is saying, you need a stronger relationship with God if you want the right faith. The more I know him, the more I trust him, the more I know his will, the more I know his voice, the more I can sense his presence, the more I know when he shows up in the room, the more I know when he's ready to act and move and to bring salvation, the more I'm with him, the more I know him, the more I pray to him, the more I feel him, the more I'm connected to him, the more he uses me. You got to have a relationship. If you want the faith that deals with mountain-sized issues, demonic forces, you got to spend time with God in prayer. And I would add fasting to that again. Now, let me, I'm, I'm going to give you this example, and I'm going to let y'all go because it's almost 12 o'clock. All right, so he talks about praying and fasting. Last week, um, we got dumped with a whole bunch of snow, and half of y'all weren't here. But that's all good because we was out here, you know, deep in the snow or whatever. But that's all good because we don't want nobody to die or anything like that. But anyway, so I needed to make a path to my mailbox. So what did I do? I grabbed a shovel, right? My, 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 my wife went to go battle the shovel. She said, boy, get out there and shovel that snow. <laughs> I just wanted to give y'all my side of the story before she tell y'all. All right, so anyways, <laughs> I grabbed the shovel, and I started shoveling the snow. So I, I, I'm throwing the snow back. Boom. Boom. I get tired about halfway through, but I kept on moving. Now, later on, we went to my dad's house. We bought him a snowblower. Snowblower wasn't that good, but you still get the picture. Got the snowblower. And to start using the snowblower, and the snowblower started to, use, started to remove even more snow. We were able to tackle mountains of snow. I mean, the snowblower is slinging snow everywhere. It's moving it out the way. But as I'm using the snowblower, here comes the snowplow truck. And when I looked at the snowplow truck, I said, I wish I had one of those. That thing was able to move mountains of snow. Let me talk to you for a minute. Prayer works like this. Sometimes when you first start, you may not get any results. But when you keep going, you start getting several results. And you keep on pressing. And you keep on going. And then what happens? You get snowblower results. And then if you keep on pressing, you're going to get a snowplow truck result. Y'all don't understand that we carry so much stuff, so many burdens. I like what the old hymn says. Oh, what needless pains we carry. Oh, what burdens we bear because we refuse to take it to the Lord in prayer. You got to understand that he's a load sharer, a burden bearer. He's the alpha and the omega, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you would go to him in faith, you'll see that he'll start moving things and wrecking things and taking down the kingdom of darkness if you begin to pray. <laughs> Everything to God in prayer. James says, Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Church, this is not a lesson about how to cast out demons. This is not a lesson on how to do miracles. This is not a lesson on how to raise the dead. This is a lesson on how to access the power of God on behalf of the things that God wants to do. So church, where did Fannie Lou Hamer get that kind of faith? Where you're able to stand and sing. I want you to feel that. Sing in the face of injustice. Sing in the face of getting beaten. Sing in the face of pain. Kidney doesn't work anymore. 
almost lost her sight, but she's singing. You know why she's singing? Because she's a lady of prayer. She learned who he was. She learned who was on her side so that circumstances and situations no longer had a hold on her, no longer was dictating her joy and her freedom. You better learn from the saints of old who learned how to pray, church. So where do we cultivate prayer? I mean, where do we cultivate faith from, like Fannie Lou Hamer? We got to be a praying church. We got to pray for one another, and we got to believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. In church, we have not just come to a power. We have come to a God who wants a relationship with you. And when I have a relationship, ask what you will, and it will be given unto you. Marriages broken? You take it to him in prayer. Somebody's messing with you on the job, you better go in prayer. Dealing with financial issues, you better take it to him in prayer. You got sin, addictions that have been holding you down, sexual addictions, you can't beat it, you take it to him in prayer. And you see how God shows up. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, above all that we may ever think or ask. God is able, church, and he will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God of all grace and mercy, Lord, as we come to a close here, we are reminded of saints like Fannie Lou Hamer. Lord, we thank you for her courage her boldness in the face of darkness, and her story is inspiring. And so, Lord, we pray that you would cultivate in our hearts a faith like that, a relationship like that. Make us people that fight our battles strongest and tallest on our knees. God, we want to be people of faith, people that trust you, that you may give us and help us to conquer everything according to your will and not ours.